Man, what an awesome uh, part in our service to see uh, someone baptized into Christ Jesus, and what a joy that is, and uh, man, great time to be a part of God's church. Hey, today is that uh, Team Sunday thing, and so I just wanted to uh, represent, you know, my team. I also like OU, it's why we're the Crimson and Cream, but uh, man, you gotta love it. So, all right, if there's any Chiefs fans out there, hey, how about those Chiefs? All right, you don't know that's about, you'll figure it out someday when we win another Super Bowl. So I'm gonna put that right here. Just so everybody can, can see if you've never heard of that quarterback. But uh, no, it's, it's fun to have team day. We even let OSU participate this year. So, um, you know, there's like two OSU fans in the church, but we offend them every year. No, I'm just kidding. There's probably half of our church is OSU fans. But uh, no, just a, a fun time as we get into fall, just to have some fun, celebrate your team. It's been good to uh, see everybody representing your teams. But uh, don't forget, we have unity in Christ because we're all on Team Jesus, right? Yeah, that's, that's the team you want to be on. That's the only team that matters actually in life. And so, uh, man, it is, a, it is, like I said, just a great time to uh, be in fellowship and to be a part of, of God's church. Uh, we started a series last week called The Church Defined, and we're in the book of Titus. And so if you have your Bible this morning, I invite you to turn there uh, to Titus. It's toward the end of the New Testament. So I'll give you a chance to turn there. Titus chapter 1 will be continuing in the series this morning. You can always follow along on the app. Um, all the sermon notes and all the scriptures and everything are there for you. Uh, if you have your phone or your tablet, you're welcome to uh, be on that, uh, but uh, not playing Fortnite or something like that, because God wouldn't want that this morning, right? <laughs> but as we begin this series, we, we start talking last week, um, and in the first uh, four verses of this, of this book, it talks about standing firm in the truth, that we are people that have absolute truth in the Word of God, that we build our lives and our foundations for life on the absolute truth of Scripture. We don't give in to the moral relativism of the culture, where the culture says to us, oh, you know, that's your truth, this is my truth. Um, whatever feels good, do it. You know, that, that's what works for me. That may not work for you. But, and, and they want to blur the lines of truth where there are just absolutes in Scripture. And so that's where we begin. Now, in a series like this where we're going through a book of the Bible and we're going through the book of Titus, just remember, every week kind of builds on another week. And so um, if, if you miss a week, you can always catch it online, usually by 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday. The sermon's already uploaded. You can stay up with the series if you're traveling, um, if you have to miss a Sunday because of sickness. Uh, but we want you to hear from the Word of God. We want you to see it in its entirety. And sometimes the context around the Scripture is important. Because last week we talked about a little bit of the background of the book. And we're going to begin in the first verse today. actually talks about a little bit more of that background. But just remember, we're trying to do church God's way. Okay, this is God's church. It's not my church. It's not the elders' church. This is, this is God's church. And so we want to operate God's church as it says in Scripture. And we're going to be uh, diving into that today as we talk about the leadership of the church. So let's read uh, Titus uh, chapter 1, uh, verses uh, 5 through 9. Actually, before we do that, I, I, I almost forgot about this. Next week, we have something really special. We're actually pulling over from the series next week for one week. And we have a guest speaker coming next week 
Her name is Stephanie Freed, and Stephanie and I are going to uh, be doing kind of this interview thing up here on stage. She is the president of ICOM, the International Conference on Missions, that is the uh, Christian Missionary Convention for uh, Christian Churches and Churches of Christ that will actually be in Oklahoma City this fall. Now, you're going to be hearing a lot about ICOM in the next couple of months because as senior minister of the church, I committed 125 of us to be there on a Friday night to run the convention for the missionaries. And I just thought, man, we're close enough. We can run down there on a Friday night. Uh, we'll work the convention. We're going to be taking up the offering, counting the offering. We're going to be doing the registrations. We're going to be handing out the flyers. We're going to be the greeting team, the host team. We're doing their children's ministry. We're doing their youth ministry. We're doing everything on, on that Friday night. And so uh, she's going to be coming next week to talk about that. But the other cool thing, uh, she's also the president of a missions organization called Rafa International. If you want to look that up this week, you can uh, do, do some research on that. But you are going to be blessed by her testimony about her ministry um, and also learn a lot about ICOM. So make sure that you're here um, next week for that. So Titus chapter 1, beginning with verse 5, leaving off, uh, uh, picking up where we left off last week. It says this. This is the Apostle Paul talking to Titus, and he says, Hey, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished, and part of that is to appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So he gave him some instructions here on establishing, remember these young churches that we talked about last week? Hey, establishing, establishing these churches that are growing and it says in verse 6, an elder, he tells him here, you need to appoint these elders as I directed you. And he says this, an elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild or disobedient. And since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and, and refute those who oppose it. You see, these churches in Crete, they were growing and they had great potential for the kingdom of God, but they needed leadership and they needed structure. And Paul tells Titus here, hey, you need to set these things in order and you need to do it according to God's way, what God desires for these churches. And here's the truth this morning. One of the most crucial parts of leading a congregation is helping the church raise up and select dedicated and qualified leaders. It is so important. Every appointment made to the eldership of a church is a crucial decision because those leaders will have a tremendous influence and effect on the direction of God's church. Now today I don't want us to miss, miss there's, there's some very specific applications today. The specific applications are to the church and how the church is to operate how the church is to function. The specific application to the church is to choose your leaders carefully, to look for the qualities that we read there. We're going to dive into that. To look for these qualities in the future leadership of the church. But there's also a general application in today's text for all of us that I want you to consider. In your personal life, as you look to people that you allow to have influence in your life, 
As you choose leaders that you look to, to follow spiritually, that you would look to those leaders carefully, that you would choose your role models well, that you would make sure that they have the qualities of godliness in people, and that you would know how to recognize godliness in people. And that maybe even you would meet to aspire to be and meet some of these characteristics and qualities of Christian leaders. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So the first thing I want to start with this morning is defining the role of these church leaders. Defining the role of these church leaders. And he states it there in verse 5 that these leaders, uh, he says that we need to put in order things that were left unfinished. And we need to appoint elders in every town. Not just here in Titus, but throughout the New Testament, we see that it is always appointed as elders. A church leader is called an elder. That word elder is actually comes from three different Greek words that are used throughout the New Testament. The word episkopos, the word presbyteros, and the word poimen. Episkopos kind of sounds like Episcopalian, where, where that word derives from. Presbyteros kind of sounds like the word Presbyterian. And then poimen, well, that doesn't sound like anything, but it's, it's, it's another one of those Greek words. When it's translated into English, you will see terms like this in the New Testament, overseer, bishop, or sometimes it's just translated elder. But I want to pause and point out that any time it appears in Scripture in regards to church leadership, it is always plural. It's always plural. There's never just one elder. There's always elders. It's a plurality of godly men that lead the church. Now, sometimes people throughout history have said, well, that, that is hard to do, to have a plurality of these godly men to lead God's church. I mean, what if this one has a vision for this and wants to do this? And what if, what if this elder has this and this elder has this and this? You know, how do you bring about in this great diversity unity? Well, that's where the Holy Spirit comes in, folks. That's where Christian maturity comes in. That these godly men would be seeking not their own agendas or their own ways, but God's ways and God's agenda to help lead congregations toward a deeper walk in relationship with Jesus Christ. That we as a congregation, as a church, are called the bride of Christ. That we would represent Christ well. And this is done and accomplished through this role of an elder being the overseer of those things. Now, elder sometimes to some of us means Older. If you think elder, you think, well, you know, we call someone who's maybe getting up there in years, we might refer to them as the elderly. But here in the Bible, when it says elder, it's actually not talking about someone who's older, but older in the faith. Someone who is mature in the faith. And it really doesn't have any dynamic to it of age, except that this person be mature. In 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 6, it says this, that he must not be a recent convert... Or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. You see, there's going to be a lot of parallels between Titus 1, 5 through 9 that we're reading today. But also referring back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Because both of those sections of scripture talk about elders and the qualifications and characteristics of elders for God's church. And there in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, it says that he must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited. He may become puffy and arrogant and prideful in his leadership position. And that would put him to fall under the same judgment as the devil. In Isaiah 14, we read about how the devil, also referred to as Satan or Lucifer in Scripture, was cast out of heaven. 
And if you read that section in Isaiah 14, it says that he was cast out of heaven because he thought attaining the throne of God and being like God was something that he should grasp. And that was a lie. And Satan has been a liar ever since. Because if you think to the Garden of Eden, when he tempted Adam and Eve, he tempted Adam and Eve with the same thing that got him thrown out of heaven. Which was, hey, if you eat of this fruit that God told you not to, you could be like God. And just as he had attained himself to be like God in all of his arrogance, so Adam and Eve took the bait and did that as well. And here in Scripture it's saying, hey, we don't want the elders to be new converts because they may become conceited. This is someone who is mature in the faith and has some years under their belt of, as walking with the Lord. The next thing we learn from this passage is that the role of elder is gender-specific. It is not gender-neutral. We read that in verse 6. It says, an elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe. And you read throughout the scripture, it's always, it's always talking about uh, masculine. It's always talking about that all throughout scripture, not just through Titus, and not even, even just referring to 1 Timothy, but all throughout the New Testament. And just as the Bible says that the husband is to be the head of the household and the head of the wife, that concept is also carried over into God's church. And this doesn't mean that women are seen as second-class citizens or that they're somehow diminished in their role in some way. It just simply states that the roles are different, that there are certain areas of the church where God specifically says, I want men to lead this area of the kingdom. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8, it says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. God's ways are different than ours. And sometimes we may say, well, I don't understand this, or I feel this way about it. But nonetheless, God is one who sets things in order and structure in his church to his bride the way that he wants it to be. Uh, Bob Russell, uh, one of my mentors and friends, wrote a book called When uh, God Builds a Church. And he was giving a commentary on this uh, section of scripture, and he said this. There have been many great women leaders throughout history and in the Bible. The Bible does not forbid women to hold leadership positions in government or in business, but specifically in capacity of eldership in God's church. Even in the church, there are many vital roles that women can hold. But when women are the elders or the senior pastor of the church, the men tend to be absent or at the very best passively involved. Perhaps that is because the male ego is so weak. That if we are not in charge, then we have this tendency to want to quit. Perhaps it is because women are better at relationships than men. Well, men are better, better at charging the hill and accomplishing the task. Perhaps it is because the natural desire in most men is to be protectors and providers of their women. But we must acknowledge that God has created men and women differently and for varying roles and responsibilities within the body of Christ. And again... We want to do Bible things in Bible ways, and there are certain roles and responsibilities assigned to men and assigned to women in God's church, but the role of elder is always to be masculine. The next part, the elders are called the shepherds of the church, and they are responsible for the spiritual oversight of the congregation. The elders are referred to as shepherds of the church, and they are giving spiritual oversight to the congregation, 
This defines them as church leaders, sets them apart. And this is really accomplished in four different duties that they fulfill in their role as elder. The first one is that they would teach and preach. Teach and preach. This is all throughout uh, Scripture as the elders and churches were the, were the teachers and the preachers of the church. Now, the word preach, sometimes I say, oh, well, they should be in the pulpit and, and, and they should, you know, be, be speaking sermons and doing that every week. Well, what the term preach there in the, in the context of the Scripture actually means to proclaim truth. And so you can be a truth proclaimer and not have to be in the pulpit. But nonetheless, they're called to be teachers and preachers, truth proclaimers, of God's truth to the congregation. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, it says this, The elders who direct the affairs of the church are well worthy of a double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, it says, Now the overseer, and that's another term that is translated for elder, says, Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. If you drill down there in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, on where it says they're able to teach, a better rendering of that would be they, they are apt to teach, which means they are bent on teaching. They love the Holy Scripture. They love the Word of God, and they want to teach the Word of God to his church. So one of the primary duties and functions of the elder is that they teach and preach. The second one is that they shepherd. They shepherd. Now, sometimes shepherding is a hard concept for us. It is, so, it is so much a part of the culture in Bible times, but maybe not as much today. I'm just wondering, how many of you manage a flock of sheep? Say one, two. All right, very good. We, we, had, we had zero in first service, so, and so I'm glad there's two representing. So if you shepherd a flock of sheep, you, you know what that's like, Right? Those shepherds are the protectors. Those shepherds are the ones that are leading them to their next food, to the, to the water supply. They're the ones protecting them from the wolves that might come in and try to devour them or the coyotes in our neck of the woods. But it seems like that these shepherds are called to keep watch over God's people, over the flock of God. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, it says this, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you the overseers, the elders. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. And so when these elders are shepherding the church, they're giving special attention to spiritual guidance, to oversight, to protecting the congregation from the wolves that might come in and try to do false teaching, and also to feed the flock on the true and rich nourishment of the word of God. And so they're, they're teachers and they're preachers, they're shepherds. The third part is that elders operate the ministry of prayer, the ministry of prayer. In Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, and we're not going to read that because of time this morning, but in Acts 6, 1 through 7 is where the role of deacon comes into the Bible and into Scripture for the first time. And those deacons were assigned the role of being a deacon by the elders because the elders at that time got way down in the logistics of operating the logistics of running a ministry in God's church. And so they elected deacons, once again, spiritual requirements for deaconship, but they, they, they elected these deacons to do the hands and feet work of running the ministry of the church. And at the end of that section, in Acts 6, 1 through 7, the elders said, we want to focus our time on two things, the ministry of the word and the ministry of prayer. The ministry of prayer. 
They are called by God to be people of prayer, to lead the congregation in prayer. At the the end of the service, every week, we have elders that come down front here. And they're down front here to pray with you, to help guide you spiritually. Maybe you have a spiritual question, or, or maybe you're contemplating your salvation in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're going through a hard time where you need a word of encouragement. Maybe you just have a biblical question that you want answered. But they're down here to help you. And many times, those meetings involve prayer. In James chapter 5, verse 14, it says this. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? We're going to anoint them with oil and pray over them. Now, if you didn't know this, but we do this here at Oakwood. A lot of times someone comes forward for prayer, and sometimes we schedule it. We've, we've prayed on Monday nights, Tuesday nights. Uh, we've met with people at special times. Sometimes we pray with, with people before and after services, and we usually go over here to the decision in the prayer room and take them in there. We have a, a vial of oil in there so we can pray over people. And I know some people that haven't experienced that, that's kind of weird, you know? I mean, the elders are going to gather around me and pray and pour oil, but people are like, why do you do that? It's because it says to do it in Scripture. It says that's just what we do. There's nothing really super awesome or special about the the prayers that we pray or the oil that we put on the person, but we do it because God is awesome and God asks us to do it and God has power when we're obeying him. And so we do it to be obedient to to all of scripture. And so if you ever have that need where where you're needing to be prayed over, remember James 5.14. It's one of our greatest privileges. In fact, I love our elders because several of the elders say this is one of the favorite things that I get to do is to just bring people before the Lord in prayer. And just say, God, would you do some work in their life? And so they have ministry of the word in prayer. So they're the preachers, the teachers, the shepherds. They, they have the ministry of prayer. And the last thing is they determine the doctrinal and spiritual direction of the church. Now where we read about that in Scripture is in Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 21. And again, for the sake of time this morning, won't be reading that. But you can look that up yourself and read Acts 15, 1 through 21, where it talks about this Jerusalem council of elders, and they were dealing with some doctrinal issues. What was happening in the early church at that time is some of them were trying to figure out, do we follow Judaism? Do we follow what the Jewish law says? And how much of that goes into what, what God says? One of the things they were dealing with specifically was, do you have to be circumcised according to the Jewish custom and law to be a Christian? Or is Jesus enough? And so it's interesting to read Acts 15 to see how those elders in Jerusalem came together to determine the doctrine and the spiritual direction of the church. But when they do that, they're always to be holding firm to God's truth. As we talked about last week, which led in our discussion of Titus. But also in verse 9, it says that they are to be the truth bearers, the truth holders, and to hold the doctrine and spiritual direction of the church and compare it constantly to the word of God. So let's talk about the qualifications of the church leaders. That's what we read about in the next uh, section of verses here in verses 6 through 9. It starts out there by saying that he's to be blameless. When you say blameless, I'm like, whoa, you know, I'm one of the elders in the church and, and I'm not, I'm not blameless. I'm not perfect. But if you drill down into understanding what that says, and if you read 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says that an elder is to be above reproach. 
There would not be this, this glaring area of their life where they are moving away from God. Maybe they're given into false doctrine. Or maybe they, they, they just have this, this habitual sin problem that they keep committing. But it says here that they're to be above reproach. They're to be blameless. Not perfect because then we'd be Jesus. And there was only one Jesus. But we're to be of good standing spiritually before God and with the community. Then it goes on and talks about his family life. Talks about the elders, his family life. It says there that he is to be a godly husband and father that leads his family well spiritually. Look what it says there specifically in verses 6 and 7. It says that he's to be faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild or disobedient. And since an overseer manages God's household, and then it goes on and talks about that. If you jumped over into uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, again, talking about elders, it says that the elder must manage his own household well. And then in 1 Timothy, in 1 Timothy 3, it says that if he can't manage his own spiritual household well, that he's been put in charge over as the father and the man of the house, how could he possibly lead God's church well? How could he lead the household of God well if he's not leading his home well? And so that's one of the things about the family life of an elder is they need to be leading their home, leading their family spiritually well. Then after that, it goes into his social life in verses 7 and 8. And it talks about several different areas of how he functions in life and in the community. It starts out there by saying that he should not be overbearing. What that means is that, that it shouldn't be someone who leads by intimidation. Have you ever experienced that in your life? Someone who's just intimidating all the time? Someone that likes to throw their weight around or likes to, to be domineering in a conversation or domineering in a meeting? Here it says that they're not to be overbearing, not to be intimidating or dominating, not self-willed, not manipulative in any way, but to, to be someone who reflects the character of Christ. It goes on and says that he should be slow to anger. Well, what it actually says is that they would not be quick-tempered. Being slow to anger and being quick-tempered is something that you don't want in church leadership. Because so many times when you're helping lead God's church as an elder, you will have some stones thrown your way. As in any leadership position in the world, sometimes we have to make decisions that are hard and might not go with the culture or might not be popular with certain groups of people. And sometimes when you have stones thrown your way, you, you want to defend yourself and anger can well up. Now, let me be clear. Scripture doesn't say that anger is sin. But Scripture does say, in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the attitude of anger become sinfulness in your life. And here, in regards to an elder, it says, hey, we're going to be slow to anger. We are not going to find ourselves to be quick-tempered. Have you ever met somebody that you felt like was quick-tempered? I mean, it felt like it could go 90 to nothing in a minute. I will be honest with you and tell you that is something God developed in me and worked on me for years starting in my early ministry when I was a youth minister. That was something that I'd just pop off, man. If somebody sent me an email, man, I'd respond and send it in 30 seconds. I've gotten wiser over the years, and now when I respond to that email, I sit on it for 24 hours. <laughs> I pray about it. Allow God to do some work there. I try not... To be quick-tempered, but to be slow to anger. The next part says that he should be sober. The church leaders should be sober. In other words, they're not given over to the influence of alcohol in their lives. 
We always believe here at Oakwood that church leaders should be the example, not the exception to that rule. I mean, Scripture is clear. It doesn't say that, hey, all drinking is bad and you should never drink or touch alcohol. But it's also clear that it says, hey, you shouldn't be under the influence of anything in your life except the Holy Spirit. And so be careful. But the elder must always be sober. The next part says that he should not be violent. I think that kind of speaks uh, for itself that someone shouldn't be given to violence. Uh, He says that he should not be pursuing dishonest gain. In other words, an elder shouldn't be one that cheats, uh, cheats others to try to make a gain financially or is constantly um, has the shadow of shady financial dealings. But they're to be above reproach in that area of their life as well, well. And they should not be pursuing dishonest gain. And then the last thing it says about his social life is that he must be hospitable. He must be hospitable. When I think of hospitality, I just think of someone that is welcoming, Right? When I actually did a study and dug down into that word, it literally means a lover of strangers. That an elder would be a lover of guests, a lover of strangers, a lover of people that they don't know. Because of their heart that is for the Lord and his kingdom and for lost people and for evangelism, we as elders are called to be a people who are hospitable. We're called to be a people that care about those outside of Christ Jesus. That is talking about his social life. And then in verse 8, it talks about his personal life. It says that the elder, he loves what is good. He loves what is good. That's an easy one to glance over, right? He just loves what is good. He just loves good things, you know. And as I sat there, I thought, what does that mean exactly? What does it look like exactly to say that a church leader and elder is one that loves what is good? What does it mean to actually love something that is good? I know that in Scripture uh, it talks about that, that whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is admirable, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is excellent, that we should think and dwell on those things. And so that our minds should be given over to those things. And we should should not be dwelling on darkness in our life. We shouldn't be dwelling on evil things in our life. We, would, we shouldn't be dwelling constantly on the bad things in life, but the good things in life. And here it says that an elder loves what is good. They actually love it. They actually want to pursue it. They actually want to esteem it. They actually want to hold it high. And they pursue those things in their life by eliminating the things that maybe are dark or evil and by pursuing things that are right and good, what the Lord would call good. I was looking um, on Facebook a couple weeks ago. I'm, I'm not on social media that much, but sometimes, you know, someone says, look at this, and then what? You're sucked in for like 20 minutes, right? But I was actually looking at a, at a post on social media, and in the post it said, um, it said something about a, a movie that had just released. And it was talking about the movie, and it said, other than the sex the drugs, the violence, the darkness, the evil, and the something else. It was a good movie. <laughs> and I was like, come on, Christians. I mean, it was a Christian, somebody that I knew. It was like, come on, Christians. It's like, really, is that pursuing what is good? It's to say, hey, other than all these bad things, maybe we just should turn off those things and not be under the influence of those things in our life. But we should be pursuing, and here it says, loving what is good as a church leader. And then lastly, it says in his personal life, he's to be self-controlled, He's to be an upright, and it gives us this idea of being a righteous person, an upright person, holy, set apart, and different, and disciplined. 
And so those are the qualifications of the church leaders. And I know you read a list like that and you're like, whoo, who can be a church leader, right? And maybe we don't hold that in, in perfection, but we are in pursuit of all of those things. Godly men to lead God's church that, that God will look down and say, yes, these are the qualifications, the characteristics of these men that we call elders. The last thing this morning is the convictions of the church leaders. The convictions of the church leaders. Let's read verse 9 together. It says that he must hold firmly. Make sure you get that language. He's to hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. Okay, they didn't have the Bible at that time in written form like we have today. And so as it had been taught and passed down from the apostles who had been with Jesus, some of them had seen and experienced Jesus firsthand. And they were telling the truth of Scripture that we get in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the rest of the New Testament. It says, hey, based on the holy word of God, based on the holy laws of God, based on what is being taught here, it says that they are to hold firmly to that trustworthy message as it has been taught. Remember going back to last week about standing firm in the truth as it has been taught. So that, why? Why? Why do they need to hold to that message? So that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So they can stand firm once again in the truth. The elders would not waver because of popular culture, because of the popular beliefs of the day, the temptation to water down. What scripture says is God's standard. And it's just like we talked about last week, that we hold firm to this truth so that he can encourage others in sound doctrine, truth of the scripture, but also by refuting those who oppose it. Now that's the part of being an elder that no one likes. I'll tell you, that is the hardest part of being an elder is when you have to refute, you have to rebuke, you have to confront. You have to admonish someone, correct someone. It's not fun, but it's part of the duties of these men. It's part of the conviction is to be able to refute those who are in opposition to God's word or his ways. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2-5, through 5, it says, Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist and discharge all the duties of your ministry. As the Apostle Paul talking to Timothy, a young church leader in the faith, and encouraging him and imploring him as an elder to do what the ministry is requiring him to do. You see, the shepherd doesn't just feed the sheep. The shepherd doesn't just love the sheep. Sometimes they must protect the sheep against wolves. Maybe there's a new study out that everybody wants to read this book and everybody thinks this study is great, but maybe it's false doctrine. And the elders of the church are called to discern that false teaching and to make sure they protect their people from it. I want to end this morning with this, Hebrews 13, 17. It says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do you understand that? 
as church leaders, we have to account to God for everything that we do. And it goes on, it says, do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. You know, I don't know what the future of the church is going to bring us. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or next week. But I do know this, that churches need quality leadership if it's going to fulfill the calling of Christ in the scriptures. And if you want your church to be successful in the days ahead, then you need to help us find great leaders. Spiritual men and women of God that will actually do what Scripture says and follow God's leading in their lives. And I want to end with this this morning. If you can't find a leader, then be a leader. All of these things we read in Scripture today, these are just Christian things. Yes, to be an elder, yeah, you have to meet those requirements in Scripture. But to a Christian, are any of those things not something that we should be having in our life are, are not some of those things that we should not be doing. It says to not do this, not do this. We shouldn't do those things. From some of the things it says that we should be doing, we should all be hospitable. We should all care about outsiders. There's so much in there that is just basic Christian living. And as much as I want to implore you to, to be careful who your leaders are, be careful the ones you allow influential in your life, be careful who you're watching online, whose podcast you're listening to, all of those things. More than that. What about if you step up? What about if you grow and you pursue in such a way these things in Scripture that you could become a leader in God's church and a powerful tool in the hands of God to lead others to Christ Jesus? That's the challenge for us this morning as God's church, is to step up when it seems like so many today just want to take a step back.